The war in the Ukraine has revealed that Russia is ruthless in its tactics, that it is willing to kill non-combatants, and it has also demonstrated that despite a coalescing of NATO nations, Ukraine is on its own. As retired U.S. Navy Admiral John Stuffelbean points out, Putin calculated the world's political and economic powers have fractured. He noted they did nothing after he annexed Crimea and devastated Aleppo. So he feels, who's going to stop me? Who would dare? And that is at the core of his thuggish mindset. Putin has been unabashed in his openness about taking Ukraine under the direct influence of Moscow. He's worked to align Iran, China, North Korea, and he's also deepening his relationship with Indian Prime Minister Modi. John Stuffelbean says Putin has a much larger strategy than the Ukraine and the countries of the former Soviet bloc. Stuffelbean believes Putin wants to break up the global power grip of the U.S. and believes a multi-front assault in Europe, the Pacific, and Middle East will overwhelm U.S. and allied resources. According to Stuffelbeam, Putin has shown he is willing to twitch his figure on nuclear weapons, and he's preparing or he has already launched cyber attacks that will grow in magnitude. Will those cyber attacks be a Pearl Harbor moment that launches a larger global conflict? I invited retired Vice Admiral of the U.S. Navy, John Stuffelbeam, to join me for a conversation that matters about the implications of allowing Russia to go unopposed in Ukraine. John, welcome. Thank you, Stu. It's uh, terrific to be here with you. Unfortunately, these are very troubling times as we have watched as Vladimir Putin has extended his belief that he can do anything that he wants unopposed. How dangerous is he? I don't think we can underestimate the danger that he represents. He is more than an autocrat. He is a fascist in the strictest sense of the word. And in fact, if you take a look at what he has been doing, going all the way back to when he was a junior KGB agent in East Germany when the Berlin Wall fell, he has been cultivating a group of followers, let's say, who align with his view that they, Russia, were done wrong and it's time to correct history. Uh, I have seen for many years what the effect has been since Putin has come to power in 2000. And quite frankly, he's making good on every promise that he has delivered going all the way back to 2007 when he said it publicly in front of Barack Obama, who didn't challenge him on it. I believe that he believes that there's a new world order that needs to be installed, and it is to take down the West. How did we miss this? Did we just believe that it wasn't possible? Because as you say, he's been pretty upfront about what it is that he's wanted to do. And yet there has been this cavalier or nonchalant response from Western governments. I would call it a general passivity. Uh, passive governments uh, do not want to go to war. They certainly don't want to escalate warfare that would then go nuclear or chemical or biological. Uh, and yet somebody like Putin doesn't fear those things. In fact, for him, they are just tools. He believes that in a nuclear exchange, Russia can win 
or at least survive and be the lone standing uh, survivor, if you will. So his saber rattling with this is actually pretty consistent with where he has come from in the past. But I observe that uh, I'll say liberal passive governments, including our own administration here in the USA, uh, has a, a strategy of hope that they hope that if they don't antagonize him, that it won't escalate things to other than just rhetoric. But I think that's foolhardy because if we don't confront him now with overwhelming response, we will inevitably have to do it later with a much greater response at a greater cost. Is this a Neville Chamberlain moment? Not quite, uh, but I think we can call it a Chamberlain moment in that we would much prefer to use dialogue to dial down the rhetoric uh, and to cool off the emotions uh, and allow things to settle down. But again, I view that's a, a strategy of hope because one of the things that I opine and observed is that a proportional response like what is being espoused today out of our White House still gives a person like Putin the upper hand. Uh, and until he respects and responds to overwhelming response or overwhelming force, he's not going to back down. I believe that he, it's not that he's crazy, is that he has calculated what the world's response or the West's response to him will be, which is, I dare you to come attack me. I dare you to attack Russia. And he keeps uh, transferring any attack on him onto the Russian people. Well, and the Russian people are coming together behind him. To a degree. Uh, I think that what we're hearing out of the polling about the Russians being fully supportive behind him are those who are afraid to say otherwise or are paid, or maybe they are true believers. But the Russian mothers are going to start counting the loss of their sons, brothers, and husbands to what's been going on in Ukraine. And there's not a, there's not a deliberate endpoint for Ukraine because even if he can tame it, he will have to occupy it to control it. And that's gonna take a lot of people. And the Ukrainians are not gonna stand up uh, for being occupied as they've shown their will. So it's gonna to continue to decimate these military forces. And these families back home are going to start questioning, even through all of the clamp down on social media and the Internet and free press, why are all these bodies coming home or why are these people not coming home? Those people are going to start to become hungry because they've lived lives all their lives. And they want to know what else is going on and we'll find ways through social media or whatever to see what is it through others' eyes, like maybe the West. You believe that cyber attacks are already mounting and underway, and that these will draw in a much wider circle of nations over or, or in addition to uh, direct armed conflict. What is the danger here? The U.S. government is paying attention, uh, and for those who watch, our organization inside of our Department of Homeland Defense called CISA, C-I-S-A, the uh, Cyber Security and Infrastructure Security Agency, just yesterday released a new alert warning about the commercial attacks that are occurring right now 
on their systems, principally on our energy control and our electrical grids. They are very vulnerable. It doesn't take much. It only takes a clever hacker to be able to shut down a portion of the electrical grid. But I would ask us all to just think back to uh, times where we are in our homes or in our neighborhoods where power has been lost for some period of time and how incapacitating that is. So a cyber attack on the size that Russia hacker, Russian hackers could unleash on the U.S. is essentially a Pearl Harbor attack in that if you shut down major grids in our major metropolitan areas, it's utter chaos. So what do you think that that could lead to as far as the response is concerned? So this is an interesting question for the U.S. and maybe for the Western world. We view cyber attacks principally in the realm of defending. We don't consider it an act of war. But if our energy distribution systems and or our power grids are shut down, in, in my view, I think we make it a mistake by not drawing that as a red line, if you want to call it such a thing, that that is an act of war. Putin has already said, Z from the uh, CCP in China has already said, any cyber attack on us is an attack on our sovereignty and is an act of war. We've not yet gone that far in this kind of new warfare mindset to recognize that as we are under attack, you know, this is not benevolent. This is malevolent because for every attack that they do now, they get smarter about where to go and how to ensure that their attacks are effective, including the, the greatest reach of one, which just denial of service. I mean, imagine our world if our cell phones, our smartphones, our computers, our internet just disappears and we can't get access to it. And then the electricity goes out. And then we run out of uh, gasoline for our cars. I mean, that is a weapon of mass effect. How do we counter it? Where do we go to create a proportional response if we want to go that way, which I think is uh, misplaced? I think that what we should be thinking about is an overwhelming response. So I'll give you one really dramatic example of why and where I think that could be come to port. If you uh, examine uh, China's or Russia's or Iran's or maybe North Korea's nuclear command and control capability, you really want to figure out how do they get those orders to those weapons to start launching and going to where they're designated to go. If you can get inside of that cyber loop and prevent it, that would be a very strong lever uh, to counter proliferation. But we can't say if we're doing that or not doing that. Uh, we know that they are trying to do that to ex exploit and examine our nuclear command and control. So we have to protect it. And uh, I have some confidence that we are. But sooner or later, all of that cyber effect is going to create such a mass effect that it will logically revert to a kinetic threat. The other element in my introduction from notes that you had sent to me was that you believe that Putin would like to see a loosening or destruction of the U.S. power grip around the world. 
and that he believes that a multi-pronged series of confrontations will be too much for American and allied forces. Tell me a bit more about how you came to that conclusion. There's two parts to that. There's one in understanding Putin as a younger officer, and then there's a, a part of that that refers to what we're doing today or what we have done today. Uh, going back to the Obama administration here in the USA, President Obama changed our national security strategy, which then changed our military strategy, such that uh, we no longer have to prepare for a two-front war or a two-theater major operations. We had, coming out of the Second World War, uh, built a uh, uh, kind of a citadel in our strategies that we would counter the threat of Russia and Europe, but we would also have to counter China and the greater Asia. And that could be two major theaters of war, which Second World War is a great example of how that uh, stressed our resources. Well, President Obama took that down and said, we will no longer plan for two major theater operations of war. So pick one. And his pick was, let's, let's face uh, Z and the CCP of China as a greater threat, in which case we have started to uh, ignore the potential threat of a resurgent Russia threatening Europe potentially with nuclear weapons. So put yourself now on the opposite side of that fence and look at it through Putin's eyes, knowing that, one, President Biden has affirmed Never will we have a first use of our nuclear weapons. That makes us vulnerable. That means that we will have to take a hit before we would release ours. We don't have the capacity today to be able to man up for a resurgent Russia and bolster NATO without decrementing the forces necessary to try to keep the hegemony pushed back as far as possible from the Chinese shores. So you put yourself now back in, in Putin's chair and take a look at this and say, hey, Z, now's a great time for you to go after Taiwan because the U.S. can't do much about it. Because look at what's happening over here in my part of the world. He is, uh, uh, I will say, helpful to Iran. Uh, I don't think he has a particular interest in Israel, but Iran does. Iran would love to you know, first order business is to wipe Israel off the map and then start to establish a greater Persia uh, and bring that empire back. And then we got the little wild crazy man in North Korea who just wants to everybody to pay attention to him. And with a nuclear weapon capability, we have to because we don't trust him or know enough of him to think he may not preemptively unleash on Hawaii or the Western United States. So we really don't have the capability to deal with what we dealt with in the Second World War. And we have essentially, uh, I won't say dismantled, but we have decremented our defense uh, establishment to the point we can't be two places at once. And so it's kid soccer for us. If we have to go to Europe, Poland, and back up NATO against a resurgent and aggressive Russia, then that's where we go. But then what do we have left to go out into the Pacific? It may not be enough. Now, the other part I wanted to go back to is to take a look at Putin from the younger man. As a young KGB officer stationed in East Germany when the Berlin Wall fell, he witnessed firsthand the public demonstrations or what uh, 
the power of the people started to show in their demonstrations of the East, and it horrified him. And it has burned into his psyche that the people cannot have that much power, which he defines as Western version of democracy. So Western version of democracy or the power of the people cannot stand. He believes in the fascist uh, uh, theology that it takes a very strong leader to control the people and temper their urges and yet provide for them what they need. And in that way, you are a more effective form of governing. So it, it, it really is the old East versus West men mentality that Putin is living as a fascist, having been brought up in that environment and experiencing it with almost uh, running for his life out of East Germany as the Berlin Wall came down. You have been in the course of your career inside the working of NATO. Do you believe that based on what is happening in Ukraine right now, that NATO can come back together as an effective deterrent against Putin? I would say that the capability is there, yes. But is there the political will to do it? Uh, NATO has become a very comfortable uh, political military organization because since the end of World War II, and, and, and the way that I read the history, if you take a look at what NATO really was all about, it was to keep those nations from going to war with one another because they were going at it in, throughout all of history. NATO, for the first time after the League of Nations failed, to be able to put an organization together under the Marshall Plan that said, now can we not only get along and work together collaboratively, but now we can also resist the threats externally, which were the crumbling and now uh, failed Soviet Union. So then the question became, I think, for many of these uh, nations and the capitals in these nations, of, well, if the Soviet Union has failed and Russia is really just a thugocracy, it's nothing but just a huge black market, why do we have any fear? I think Ukraine is an stellar example of why there is fear. Now, I'm also one who feels that Ukraine is essentially lost. We just don't acknowledge it. It's not that they've lost and given up, but it will become a wasteland. It will become the new Chechnya for Russia for as long as Putin has people in that part of the world. But what are those ulterior motives? So he's always believed that Ukraine was part of Russia. But he also has given speeches about how the importance of the Baltics. He has given speeches about the folly of Poland being part of the West. Uh, it, it almost harkens back to the days and taking a look at the maps that Nazi Germany, or let's say Hitler, not, not the country Germany, but let's say Hitler, had proposed to execute across Europe. It's the same kind of a mindset that's there. Yeah, I want to build a buffer to protect Mother Russia, but I really want to get rid of all this Western influence that's is causing all these people to want to hold on to Western values like capitalism. He opposes that, you know, as a theologian, if you will. And so I think that I think that if Poland is attacked, or if one of the Baltic states is attacked, especially. Uh, Finland and or Sweden, as they are now running uh, for the entrance to NATO, that if Putin attacks them, one, it exposes his hand on his broader reaches. 
uh, and what his intent really is for Europe. And I think that that may coalesce uh, the nation capitals uh, of, of NATO. There's a caveat, and the caveat is energy. Energy, energy production, energy sales is the source of Putin's financial or economic power, which he himself controls. I mean, he could fund Russia by himself, given how bad their economy is otherwise. He just had all that money distributed through his oligarchs and hidden uh, in many places. So he doesn't have easy or direct access to it. But he controls the spigot to Germany and to France. I mean, we're watching now what's going on in France with the election coming up that could very well fall towards a pro-Putin posture and principally because of energy. Germany is kind of all about doing the right thing up until they are forced to uh, look at themselves in the mirror and recognize what happens if that gas gets shut off coming from Ukraine controlled by the Russians. And, and that could very well be part of Putin's calculus for why he's going to where he's going so that he has the control of that spigot and can hold those countries at risk, which then also puts NATO at risk if Article 25, Article 5 were ever to have to be invoked, i.e., if you attack one of us, you have attacked all of us. So at the end of it all, I've gone kind of circular around this. It's a very difficult question for NATO. The good news is they're standing up to it for now. But what I notice is they're standing up with a long stick, sticking it out there to keep themselves from getting too close to Russia or to Putin to cause that nuclear trigger to maybe get released uh, on on small battlefield weapons, which uh, Putin... He sees that as a, as a as a as a great resource for him. Everybody else is just scared to death of it, given the experience of what happened in Japan those many years ago. So I think that it's a heck of a test for NATO. But from my experience within NATO, if you think of NATO as a huge monolithic organization, that would be a mistake. It's fractured already, and we saw it in many years of those nations who signed up for it, wanting to get the protection of it, but not willing to pay their price to join. So the question becomes is, is USA, NATO, and vice versa? And if you can uh, somehow kowtow one of them, does the other one still stand up? These are unsettling times, very unsettling times. John, thank you for your insights today. You're most welcome, it's nice to chat with you.